We're on Beatitudes. I know you know the Beatitudes. You know they're found in the 27th chapter of Matthew. I'm just checking. How many would say, well, maybe not the 20, maybe Matthew chapter 5? How many say, I think that's it? I'm not going to ask how many really don't know because I just believe that you're the best of the best of all of you know. Okay? Beatitudes, why are they important? If you try to, to look at it analytically and you look at it from the standpoint of saying, well, if Jesus is preaching, and this is among his, his first message, then you would think that message is important. And it is the Sermon on the Mount that, where the Beatitudes come from. Blessed, 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 over and over again. The word blessed, as we learned last week, is happy. Happy if you do this. Hear the results. Happy if you do this and hear the results. You would think that the things that he covers is not, say, 30 different ones, but maybe seven or eight or so that he said these are the things of real value. The one thing that we do know if you study carefully is they were almost, almost diametrically opposed to what the Jews in that day had been taught. Jesus stands and pre, and it created quite a stir among the religious leaders as he's talking and say, well, that's not the way it is. Jesus tells somebody, slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek, that doesn't work. You slug them. Of course, the way that we live with it is this. Well, why turn the other cheek but didn't say what to do after the second one so I can slug them then? That's not, you miss the whole principle of the Scripture. Miss every bit of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If you understand then the Beatitudes, this Sermon on the Mount, we know that Jesus knew, and we all know now because many of us have lived long enough to know that life is not always easy. Matter of fact, if you're not really careful, life can be more painful than it is comfortable. Always something, what is it going to be next? Some difficulty. And it's all because of one person, Adam sin. Say Adam and Eve. Well, listen, it was Adam. Say, well, Eve, Eve tempted him. Don't lay it on her. If he'd have been the kind of man that he should have been, it would not have happened. Somebody say amen. I didn't hear any ladies say amen. Some of you ladies want to get it out right now. I could feel it. It's his fault. Say it out loud, ladies. Come on. It's his fault. Adam's sin adversely affected you. No longer a perfect environment, a perfect situation. And have you noticed that very few things work perfectly today? Your body sometimes doesn't work perfectly on a consistent basis. The weather doesn't work perfectly. The economy doesn't work perfectly. And unless you're a saint, you're married to a saint. I mean a real, real saint. Your marriage doesn't work perfectly. Sometimes she actually has the audacity to disagree with a man of God. <laughs> Makes it difficult. Or sometimes she has an opinion. 
She doesn't know that your philosophy is always tolerate those who disagree with you because they have a perfect right to their ridiculous opinion. So marriages are not perfect. Point out what really is perfect today. Nothing here on earth is. That's why we pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is that perfect place. Matthew 5, 4 gives us one of the Beatitudes, and you're just going to have to soak it up. And my prayer for you as I prayed and studied and believed and have read over it, read it again and again, got it in my spirit, is that, God, maybe there's just one something, one thought, one thing that you have to say that I hear the whole message, but God, let me leave here with one thing that has the potential to change my life that will change my behavior, that will give me a little different perspective, that will help me be the kind of man, the kind of woman that you want me to be. The Beatitude of 5-4, God blesses those who what? Mourn. Come on, help me out. You sound like you're mourning now. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He blesses them. Well, you want to talk about mourning it's more than that. It's sadness. It's trouble. It's disappointment. I was sitting there worshiping a moment ago, and I thought, I wonder if I would ask the congregation, how many of you have ever faced or gone through divorce? Um, 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 a, large, a large portion would say, maybe 50%, raise your hand. How many children born out of wedlock? You'd raise your hand. How many used to be alcohol? How many to raise your hands? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because all of us know what it is to go through not mourning necessarily, but some of the cousins to mourning, and that is heartbreak, and that is difficulty, and, and that's when life turns sour on you, and the emotions are there. And some of you right now in this room, you're here and you say, wow, I, we're going through a real financial trial, or, or wow, we've got one of the kids that's just being rebellious and nasty, and we've got circumstances that we were faced with, wow, unbelievable circumstance physically, and, and we got the report. And yet some people teach you, hey, if you're a believer, you are never supposed to have any burden, never supposed to be sad. You're, never, you're just supposed to be happy, tiptoe through tulips all the single time. That is a myth and not the truth. Why? God doesn't expect us to be happy all the time. Here's why I know that. Ecclesiastes just happens to be in the book. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There is a time to what? Weep. There is a time to what? Laugh. There is a time to mourn. And there is a time to dance. Amen? So we have all those times that are there, times of weeping and grieving. But here's what often we have. We tell people, hey, what you just need to do is grin and bear it. That's what you do. Well, so some of these precious couples is going to have someone to come in and sit down with them, and their counsel is going to be, but we're going to tell you, we went through all that training, and here's our, here's, just here's our time to spend with you. You guys just have to grin and bear it. Next couple, grin and bear it. But that's not the truth. The Bible says that we're to cast our cares on the Lord. Grief not only happens at funerals, but if you've ever faced divorce, you know what grief is like. 
If you've ever lost a child, as I saw this past week, a mother at the attendance of her daughter's funeral, then you know what mourning and grief and hurt and pain is. You lose a job and it came out of nowhere. You know what mourning and grief and disappointment understands. And grief is essential in our lives for good health. If you just study the basic foundation of good mental health, here it is. And if you never grieve or mourn or sad over, uh, you never do that. There are several reasons why. Number one, you're not in touch with reality because there are many things to be sad about, brokenhearted in this world. Or you're out of touch of your own emotions and you're living in denial. And then finally, you don't love. Because when you love someone or something and you see them broken and sad and hurt, it makes you sad, my friend, because you love. And we understand that. You go through transitions in life, and change is difficult. Change is difficult. I mean, I used to be able to jump an eight-foot fence. (laughs) But only six foot now. My dreams are the best dreams in the world, my friend. Amen? How many have a dream? May I see your hand? It's good to have a dream. Here we go. And when you lose a loved one or something of value, uh, there are two unhealthy experiences. I'm going to tell you what they are. One is repression, and the other is suppression. Repression is when I unconsciously try to block pain of that thought out of my mind. And then suppression is when I consciously fail to want to deal with that pain and decide not to go through it. You see, God desires for us to confess our sins, take our problems, call on the name of the Lord, lean on one another, and if we fail to deal with those challenges in our life, we act it out in an unhealthy way. Because here's what we know in our counseling and just watching people, and I I love to watch people. If a person constantly is resisting and angry, et cetera, et cetera, somewhere you can trace back over a period of time where that anger started. Babies are not born angry, though they should be. They're born happy. Smile, look at them, smile, etc. So you deal with that. And when you fail to deal with that and you swallow, your stomach streams out. That's why there are ulcers and difficulties. Psalms 32, verse 3, when I kept things to myself, I felt weak. Deep inside me, I moaned all day long. Well, what do you want us to be, Pastor? You're suggesting we ought to walk around sad, moan, and groan all day long. Don't wait till I get to the end. David continues in Psalms 39 to, I was silent and held my peace to no avail. In my distress only grew worse. You and I cannot control what happens in our life. But through the Holy Spirit, we know how to deal with it properly. And deal with it sometimes doesn't feel good at the moment. But it's good to know that God says when you're broken and you're mourning and you're grieving and when you're disappointed... If you understand how to manage through it, you will be comforted. Must be important is one of the Beatitudes that Jesus is dealing with, and you cannot go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. And if you fail to go through it, 
If I were to ask you guys out there, if you had a problem, do you think you'd try to figure out, hey, I really don't want to go through this. Let me see if I can find a way to go over it. Anybody out there? Let me see if I can find a way to go under it. Let me see if I can find a way to go around it because I really don't want to go through it. And let me tell you, here it is. God's way often is saying, I don't want you to go over it. I don't want you to go under it. I don't want you to go around it. I want you to go through it. Because it's when you go through it, I'm able to minister and touch your life. And there are several things that he does. One, when you go through it, God draws us closer to him. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. And sometimes when you face that, it seems like God is a million miles away. You feel alone. But yet when you go through those challenges and brokenheartedness and my own experience and my family's own experience just this weekend, I thought, God, there's got to be a way to go around this, to go over it, to go under it. No, you're going to have to go through by process to be able to, to go through it. Hebrews 13, verse 5, he said, I will be with you, I won't leave you, and I will not abandon you. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 6.10, our hearts ache, but at the same time we have the joy of the Lord. My heart aches, but I have the joy of being comforted because when I mourn and I hurt, I know that my God is with me. Do you know what it's like to pray for a family that I prayed this weekend when they all know that a spine or, or a spinal has been, has a, had a bullet went through in the head, four shots? And for me to take the hand of the wife and pray, God is able. God, every time I said it, God is able. God can touch your husband. God can minister to you. God can do it. Do you know the devil was talking in this ear? Say, you're lying. You're leading her astray. Why don't you tell the reality he is done? He's never going to recover, and there's no way for him to live. And I just kept praying a little bit longer and say, but I know in whom I have believed my God is able. Sooner or later, we have to make up our mind what we believe and tell the devil he is a liar and say, I'm going to go through it one step at a time. And God, whatever happens is going to be according to your divine plan. That's good preaching right there. You ought to put your hands together a little better than what you're doing right there. I need help this morning. God grieves with us. God grieves with us. And the reason that you and I have the ability to grieve, how many knows whose image we were made in? We we're made in God's image. So let's talk about that. We're made in God's image. God understands emotion. The Bible tells us that he grieves. It tells us that when Jesus sees sin, it breaks his heart. When he sees suffering, suffering it touches his heart. And I was preparing this message. I thought, uh, thought about all the, the thousands and thousands in Syria of how many women had been brutally raped and how many children had been killed with their heads severed. And that's so far away. I read it and hear it on the news and I think, oh, well, that's just the power of darkness. But listen, friend, it ought to adversely affect me in a different way to say, God, there is no reason under the sun. There ought to be that kind of turmoil and no one step in and say, that has to stop. I thought about my own grandchildren and I began to weep and began to grieve. And I said, God, here's what I know. You have the answer to all of it. That breaks my heart. And it should move us 
when we see suffering that it touches the heart of individuals. God does not stand on the sidelines and watch us. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, Jesus was a man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with bitter grief, and he knew suffering firsthand. Lazarus, his friend, died. He walked up. He's dead. He sees the sisters there moaning and crying, and it says that Jesus was moved to tears. Short of Scripture, Jesus wept. Why? Because he grieved over the loss of his best friend. He understands that. Those that have gone through divorce, it's like a second death. It rips your heart out. It tears your heart out. It's embarrassing. And many of our single women and single guys who have gone through that are still struggling to try to wonder, what did I do wrong? And the enemy pounces upon them as if the finger is upon them. I'm here to tell you, God has not forsaken you. He's still has the ability to take out of ashes something that can mend and bring absolute and total healing. But we men, the guys, we're the macho people, you know. I've heard parents actually whip their kids. I mean, you know, not whip them. I mean, beat them. I mean, not beat them, spank them. <laughs> I create my own humor, friend. I saw a mom the other day, well, matter of fact, the whole weekend, her little two-year-old was acting up. She went and grabbed something, said, don't grab it, grabbed it again, and she went over and went. I'm sitting there thinking, I can help you. I mean, got the message. Sure. You guys, I've seen people spank their child and like that. And the kids cries. Isn't that a normal reaction? And I've seen parents say, don't cry. And what do I think? You're a moron. <laughs> You're going to create pain in their life, on their fanny, on their hand, whatever the case is. And they're going to say, don't cry. You do not want to marry a kid that was raised that way because what they learn to do is stuff their emotions and hide them, and as a result of that, those emotions are hidden and they're stuffed, and when you marry them, they have stuffed their emotions. They cannot let those emotions out, and they don't know how to give love out. Why? Because they stuff the meaningful parts of their life that should be an ordinary reaction. So be careful about that. As a matter of fact, God tells us that it's all right to cry. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, the ministry and message of Jesus, he sent me to comfort those who mourn and give to those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief and the song of praise instead of sorrow. And God gives us when we go through challenges, financial, divorce, mourning, the death of a or loss of a loved one, et cetera, et cetera. God gives us a church family for support. I can honestly tell you, I've heard it over and over again. People say, I'm closer to the people that I worship with than the people that I am blood related to. 
because my church family understands the principles of what it means to grieve, what it means to go through challenges together. Someone made this statement, when you share a joy, it's doubled, and when you share a sorrow, it's halved. And when you carry your challenges and you carry your problems and you bear your own burdens all the time and you never, never endeavor to lean on someone or lean on God, God never intended for you to have to carry your burdens alone. Never. He's given us his shoulder to lean upon and he's given us a Christian and a church family. He's given us those relationships to enjoy it. And the Christian relationships as we lean on the Word of God and not necessarily modern psychology or psychiatry, we lean on biblical principles. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 5, 10, and 15, in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That is the church of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about small groups. That's why we talk about celebration. That's why we talk about marriage mentoring. That's why we offer classes that will endeavor to help teaching us all to say, you don't have to carry that alone. And yet there are still those that said, I don't need anyone. Heard a man say that the other day. I don't need anyone preacher. I don't need you. I don't need the church. And I sat back and I thought, boy, are you in for a rude awakening? For when you take that posture, sooner or later, a rogue wind of culture will come along and annihilate you before you know it because you have no one to lean on. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, comfort each other and give each other strength. So two things, you're either doing pretty well, you don't have much pain, you don't have much mourning, you don't have much grief, everything's going pretty well. Or you're here this morning and you're going through pain and difficulty and mourning and challenge things that you never dreamed in. So how should we respond? Those that are having a pretty good life right now, someone said life is good. Ought to be able to reach out to that person in pain and say, hey, let me help you through your challenge because right now I'm doing pretty good. And that's the way the church functions and that's the way that it operates. How do you respond to a person, for example, that's lost a loved one? You know, often, I, here's what I knew. Uh, I, I used to think that as a minister, I had, to have, I, have, I had to have the answer to everything. I've adopted a new policy. I don't know anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Listen, 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 listen. God had a reason for taking your baby, baby. He needed more little angels. In heaven, don't say that. Don't say anything. Listen to them. Hold them. Hang with them. And let the Holy Spirit do the talking. People respond to heartbreak, divorce, loss of a loved one differently. Here's what I found out. It usually takes at least one annual cycle for that person to be able to go through the anniversaries, the Christmas, the New Year, the July 4th, the barbecue, the vacation schedule, that you take one complete loop. And in the meantime, we just sit and say, I'm with you. I'm for you. 
I'm here. And it's amazing how God is able to take us through all those cycles of our painful experience because we know that we have someone that, in fact, will help us. But on the other hand, if you go through those kinds of circumstances, eventually you will need to make up your mind not to get stuck. Not to still be at the headstone in the cemetery every day. Sooner or later, you will need to lean on the Holy Spirit because if God wanted you to die, He would take you on to heaven. And since He didn't, live in Jesus' name. Amen? Live in Jesus' name. Here's another. God uses grief and challenges to to help us grow. To help us grow. God whispers to us, according to C.S. Lewis, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. In other words, the pain is God's megaphone that says, hello. And change usually doesn't happen when I see a fire. But the closer I get to the heat, the more I'm ready to change. Amen? Seeing a fire, that's good. I see that fire, but when it starts burning me, I'm ready, in fact, to change. Proverbs 20, 30, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Somebody say amen. A painful experience. It's a good way to help us grow. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things For God works for the good of those who, in fact, love him. Why? Because he builds character through those challenges. He builds our pain resistance. The reality is we can't control the pain that we go through, and sometimes the heartbreak is raw. But you and I can decide whether or not it's going to make us bitter or better. I can't explain some of the things that God does. I can't explain how that takes place. But I can determine in every situation in my life, God, is it going to make me bitter? Is it going to make me better? And what in this do I see where God can have an advantage if I'm obedient to him? 2 Corinthians 4:17 These times or these troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory. That's why we keep focused. The study that was shown about those who were prisoners, for example, in the concentration camps in Auschwitz. Said so many of them died, but some survived, and the study found that those who survived had had figured out a meaning in their pain, a purpose for it. And those who died thought I'm just a victim of circumstances. If you look at everything in your life and you say, God, what purpose do you have in this? What is it that I need to hear? What is it that I need for you to figure out for me? What that will do, it will help you. And Jesus says it. Blessed are those that are mourned. Blessed are those that are in pain. Blessed are those that are going through challenge. Blessed are those for you shall be comforted, but it's not. He said, figure out how that comfort takes place. And that's what we're doing today. It's paying attention to God. It's leaning on the Lord. It's leaning on your brother and leaning on your sister. And then finally, we find God gives us hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. 
I can declare with absolute certainty that this life is not all there is. There is more. Amen? There is more. There is more. You see, there's a place that we're going to spend eternity. You can live to 80, 90, or 100 years of age. But that's a small amount of time compared to the multi-millions, trillions, billions, eon and eon of years that we're going to spend in the presence of the Lord. And Paul steps forward and he said, hey, even when you're facing death, we don't want you to be ignorant about believers who have died. We don't want you to grieve like the people who have no hope. The two kinds of grief is the grief of those who died with hope and the grief of those who saw family members that that had no hope as far as they could ascertain. And I, I have been with both. I've been in the bedside and I've watched people die, held their hands of individuals that the family knew. If you just judged, hey, based on their life and right up to before they, before they were conscious, didn't want any part of God, don't pray for me. And that is a grief that no one can understand how deep it goes. But what a difference it is when they have a glimmer of hope. How many times have I heard people say, Pastor, do you think they knew Jesus when you prayed with them? Do you think they made it? You know what I'm going to say? Nah, they didn't make it. I didn't mean it when I prayed. You know what I'm going to say? We prayed the prayer of faith. They repeated that prayer, and here's what I'm going to do. If I get to choose and what I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe they made it. Amen? Amen? How many, how many are going to believe they made it? Why? Because that is all the difference in the world. And that's who we are. We understand that. Revelation 21.4 says to all of us, God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there's going to be more de- no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the old order of things are going to pass away. And God's going to settle every single account when we hear him say, well done. We know God uses our pain to help others. That's the greatest purpose of our pain. It's called redemptive pain. And so you can shoulder to shoulder say, I know exactly what you're going through. I know what it means to lose a small child because I've been there, if that's you. I know what it is to face bankruptcy, and I tried and tried and tried. But I can give you some words of wisdom from my own experience. I know what it is to lose a wife that you're absolutely in love with or a husband. I've been there. I know what it is to care for an elderly mom or dad. I I know what it is to go to family reunions for the first time. When you've been through it, you can use your pain to bless and benefit others. Never, ever say, please, when God opens a door for you to serve and to give your talent, your ability, and your experience, please never say, I don't have time. Because the ruler of time can make that a reality for you and me just like that. Through the power of that grief, God comforts us in all of our troubles in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others with the same comfort we receive from God.
God, thank you for your touch. We often think that our success is what gets us credibility for witness. May I ask you to consider that a lot of times it's our suffering that gives us credibility to help others. People are not nearly impressed by our assets as they are impressed how we handled adversity. And if I could suggest to you that we live in a broken world and every one of us at one time, many times in our life, need help. No matter who you are. And my prayer is that your heart will never be too proud that you can't let God help you, that you cannot let a friend help you, that you cannot let a church help you. And I'm learning those lessons still today in my own life to not judge people. Example, you wouldn't be where you're at experiencing the pain that you're experiencing had you made better decisions. Because if you really want to be beneficial, you ought to ask yourself this question. Why don't I make better decisions? Spirit of the living God, we thank you in this room right now for all of these wonderful people who love you. We're standing on your word and we're declaring that hopefully we heard something today that will benefit each of us. Something today that will give us courage and give us strength. Something today that will speak loudly into our spirit. God, I pray because I know that there are lives that are twisted and people that hurt for various and sundry reasons. And I know that you never called any of us to live an island by ourselves, but you ask us to lean on you, to lean on one another, to believe that you have an answer to every problem and that, God, we don't want to get lost in seeking an answer and miss seeking you. Because many times when we seek you, the answer comes. And it's a whole lot easier to seek you because you're perfect instead of trying to find an answer that we may never know. In Jesus' name. Would you stand, everybody? And if you're here this morning and bowed your heads quickly as you stand and you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, he brought you here for a purpose, not accidental. Brought you here for a reason. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to me now. I think there are several of you who say, you know what, I've given my heart to Jesus. And I raise my hand and I'm trying to live right. But you know what you've never done? You've never said, God, I'm not ashamed of you. I just want to make a public confession of my faith. I want everybody to know that I made that kind of a decision. Is that you? You may want to come down. If nothing more than just say, I'm making a declaration of my faith in Jesus. And you know what that'll do? It'll help support your decision. Because now it's not just you and God and a few friends around you. You've declared, 
I'm not ashamed of you. If you're here this morning, you're going through challenges and trials, you'll want to come. But if you don't know Jesus, here's your opportunity. So I ask everybody to let's repeat this prayer. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I have sinned and I need forgiveness. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Sanctify my life. Draw me near to you and give me a testimony that I've always desired. I believe by faith that I have asked you for forgiveness and I am forgiven for your honor in Christ's name. Altar workers are here. If you need prayer, you slip. Listen, friend, don't forget, fill out the prayer card. Be sure you're here tonight, but come praying and believing. Help me. I believe God's going to do great things, but here's what I know. It won't be as nearly as successful without you. I need you. And I believe together God's going to do something great. Before the benediction, let's sing this song, give you a chance to respond. Here we go. So, Father, 